Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. If you are his, be strong and courageous. Walk in that declaration. Live that life. Meditate on his word. Grow strong. That's why we're here tonight. To go deeper. To study. To grow. To lead well. Heavenly Father. We follow you here tonight. I thank you for the outpouring of your presence here in this moment of worship. I ask that as we study your word together, as, as we go deep in our breakout sessions, as we consider our personal growth in these steps, God, that we would see the calling to be strong and courageous, that we would be brave in every situation, that we would choose to exercise our spiritual disciplines to grow strong in our faith. Grow us in your presence tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been an amazing weekend. Just just awesome seeing everybody grow and challenging and some of the conversations we're having online with people following up. And, and here you are ready to grow and go deeper Heart and Soul Mini Conference is birthed out of the idea that as leaders, as volunteers, as those who are able to do ministry, we need some special things poured into our life, some leadership principles. Uh, and we want to be able to teach things that our teams need and that every individual needs. So, so tonight we're going to have a word together, and then we're going to have some opportunities for breakouts. I'll talk to you about those breakout sessions a little later tonight. But first, it's my joy to introduce for the third time on our stage our guest, uh, Aaron teaches a lead conference I've been to. He teaches students all over the country. If you've been blessed by him this weekend, would you join welcoming Aaron Holt to the stage? How's everybody doing? We're good, 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 good. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. It's an honor to sit next to you. Yeah. Look at your other neighbor. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. It's an honor for you to sit next to me. 
Yeah, you chose wisely when you chose me. I'm your dream neighbor. That, you know, yeah, you chose the right, the right person, the right person. Um, so, hey, I mentioned, um, I mentioned earlier, I, I think it was last night, actually, I mentioned that a couple years ago, um, I climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, right? And uh, so we were raising money for water wells, and we got people to sponsor us whenever we would uh, climb. And so, so um, uh, early on in my prep for the climb, I remember I, was, I started to talk to some different people, and I would run into some people that had already done the climb, right? If you don't know anything about it, 19,320 feet, that's the, that's the peak, that's the altitude. Uh, it's in Tanzania on the continent of Africa, right? And, uh, so, but I began to talk to some other people who had done it, and this one question kept coming up, and they would say to me, hey, which, which trail are you taking? And I, I, didn't, I mean, I thought it was like a trick question. And I'm like, um, the one that goes to the top, <laughs> you know, because I'm thinking like, like, I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to make it to the top. And, and, and then, but then I very quickly found out that what they meant was that when you climb uh, Kilimanjaro, and this is true for actually a lot of mountains, but when you climb Kilimanjaro, there are multiple routes you can take. Uh, like there's like actually with Kilimanjaro, I think there's like seven or maybe even eight different trails you can take. And all of them ultimately lead you to, to the very last trail that, that walks across the, the crater wall because Kilimanjaro is an extinct volcano and there's like a partial crater wall that's left there, right, uh, when it when interrupted many, many years ago. And so all the trails lead kind of to this one area. Now, I'm, I was thinking about this, right, I was th- and, 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 and Pastor Candace asked me to really kind of dial in tonight on this, this whole uh, uh, question of like why do we share our faith? Like why is it important that we share the gospel? Um, and here's, here's a lot of reasons why, but here's one of them, right? Because it, there's this assumption in the world in which you and I live that all trails ultimately lead to God, right? So, so when it comes to God, just, just pick a trail. Pick, pick whichever one you want. I mean, let, let me be more specific about it. And I would encourage you to, to take, get your phone out or to get your notepad out. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff to write down, right? This is going to be more like a teaching session than it is a preaching session. But there's this assumption that you and I deal with, especially when it comes to sharing our faith. And you've probably had this happen. If you haven't, it will. At some point, you'll, you'll begin to share your faith with somebody, and their response will be like, oh, that's good for you. You found your way. I'm glad that you have a way to get to God. I've got my way. And the assumption is ultimately all religions are the same. So just pick a trail. You know, pick Islam, pick you know, Buddhism, pick Hinduism, Christianity, just whatever one you want. It's, it's, almost, uh, it's almost like uh, uh, years ago, many, many years ago, my grandfather used to be a brakeman on the Reading Railroad in, in Reading, Pennsylvania, right? And a lot of people's approach towards uh, religion or towards faith or towards spirituality or towards truth, you know, like it's kind of one of the phrases out there. You go find your truth. I've got my truth. You find your truth, right? A lot of people's approach towards that is like, it's like, it's like getting on a train. Pick a boxcar. Doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick one. They're all hooked up to the same engine. So if you want to get in the Christianity boxcar, you want to get in the, 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 the Muslim boxcar, you want to get in the Hindu, just, just pick one. They all ultimately will end up the same. I've been doing pastoral ministry in, 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 in different forms for over 20 years now. And, and during that time, especially when I was a student pastor, I would often get questions, like really, really difficult questions, right? Oh, there goes my phone. Sorry. Ouch. Right, ouch is right, too. I, I, I would get questions like this all the time, right? And so I'm trying to get my timer to start here. So, the, oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. The, these are some of the questions. I wrote some of these down. This will just kind of help kind of set up where we're going to go in, in this session tonight, right? But I'd get questions like this all the time. How is it 
that we could possibly conceive that Jesus is the only way. When to do so means that billions of Buddhists or Muslims would automatically be excluded and damned to hell. That's, that's a tough question, <laughs> right? Here, here's another one. Um, what about the person who lives a moral life but they don't know Jesus? What happens to them? Or, uh, two more here. Um, what about the tribe in the remotest part of the world that's never heard about Jesus? What about them? What happens to them? Or, or one more. Other religions think that they are right, and so do we. How do we know who's right? What if Christians are the ones who are wrong and something like Islam is right? I mean, and listen, the, and these are tough questions, not just tough from the, the intellectual point of view, but they're, they're even tough, tough emotionally because what we're really talking about is we're talking about the eternal resting place of a person's soul. I mean, like, these are heavy questions when you, when you think about it in that context. And I'm going to be real honest with you. There are times when I'm wrestling through questions like this where I think to myself, you know what? It, it kind of would be easier if it was like climbing a mountain and just pick a trail, and whichever trail you pick, you're just going to get there. And, and I think you and I live in a world where, where there's a lot of people that, based on the assumption that all religions are the same, people kind of want to embrace this idea that, hey, it's all the same, and, and, and ultimately, we're all going to find a way to be right with God. Here's the problem. You can't be right with God and be wrong about Jesus. You, you can't be in right relationship with God, but have the wrong view or the wrong understanding or the wrong belief in regards to Jesus. But, but we live in a culture today, right? I'm, I know I'm, I got real deep with you right away, but, but I'm, just, I'm trying to keep us all on time tonight. So get ready to take a bunch of notes because you and I live in a culture today where everyone's like, I want to find my truth. You find your truth, I'll find my truth. I want to get right with God. All roads lead to God. And the assumption ultimately is that all religion is the same. Now that's a faulty assumption. Let me just let me get right to the point. That's a faulty assumption. First of all, it's, it's actually a human intellect point of view it's an insulting point of view to faithful followers of all different religions. But, but furthermore, it completely demotes and devalues the person of, who Je of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did. That's why I said you can't be right with God and be wrong about Jesus. But, but just think about logically with me for a second. How many of you, um, how many of you are sushi lovers? How many of sushi, you love sushi, love sushi? Okay, cool. So tell me, all you sushi lovers, tell me if you agree with this statement right here. All sushi is the same. It doesn't matter where you buy it from. <laughs> no, I mean, like there's like a reaction, like no, 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 that's not true. Okay, all right, uh, let me let, let's try this one out, right? All soda is the same. No, no, passionate soda drinker over there. Everybody knows Dr. Pepper is the best soda if you're gonna drink soda, right? We know this, right? Okay, do you, let let me <laughs> some see it. Uh, all dogs are the same. No, especially if you own little dogs. Okay, okay, sorry, I just, okay, all right, no, no, I'll get, I'll, let me give you one more, um, okay, uh, Marvel Comics, DC Comics, it's all the same, it doesn't really matter, no, right, no, 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 so there, there, listen, there are so many areas in which you would never subscribe to this belief, but when it comes to religion, it's comfortable, it's, 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 it's not just, it's, just comfort, it's not actually just comfortable, it's actually recommended in today's culture that you become very, uh, what I would call pluralistic, right, right, mean, meaning many different ways for you and I to figure out how to get to God. So here's what I want to do tonight. I really want to help you answer the question, 
why? Like, like, like why is Jesus the only way? And, 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 and when you know that Jesus is the only way, why should you then be motivated to share your faith, right? I, I know sometimes we, we, we want to be super practical and we want to be nuts and bolts. We want to be like, how do I do it? How do I do it? And there's a time and place for that, absolutely. I want to help give you like some roots and give you some foundation for why we actually believe Jesus is the only way and what the big difference is between Christianity and every other religion. Now, there's a lot of them, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you just a couple big, big ones, right? So get ready to take notes. Get ready to take notes, right? There are about uh, 4,200 different religions in the world, roughly speaking. You, didn't, you probably didn't even know there were that many. 4,200 different religions, right? Um, but two of the main differences, biggest differences between all of those other religions and Christianity can be found in these two words. Get ready to write these down. Number one, Legalism. Everyone say legalism. Number two, fatalism. Everyone say fatalism. I'm going to take you to school here real quick, right, if you don't know what these words mean. Legalism. Legalism says this. In a nutshell, write this down. Take notes. Legalism says that you have to follow the rules in order to get God to love you. Just plain and simple. you got to do all the right things. If the religion says you have to pray X amount of times a day, then you got to pray X amount of times a day. If you have to do it a certain way, you have to do it a certain way. If the face a certain way, you have to face a certain way, right? That's, that's legalism. And legalism in a religious context basically says this. There's a God out there, and that God may or may not choose to love you if you do all the right things. If you do all the right things while you're alive, one day when you die, that God might say, hey, you made it, or he might say you didn't make it. It's very legal Legalistic, right? Very, very, very legalistic. If you've ever seen the movie, have you ever seen the movie uh, Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast, have you ever seen the movie? Okay, Beauty and the Beast, great story. Love the movie. My girls watch it all the time. Beauty and the Beast is kind of the, the main message of that movie. It's kind of like a very romanticized version of legalism. Be, because basically the beast has a curse on him. And, and what does he need to do to, to relieve himself or break the curse on him? He needs to get Belle, in this case, the woman, to love him the way that he is. So he's got to do all the right things. If he doesn't do all of the right things, then she won't love him, and then the curse will remain on him. That's just a romanticized version of legalism. I'm not telling you to go throw the movie away if you've got it on DVD, right? I'm just, I'm just saying that's what it is. Culturally speaking, we, we've, we've embraced this idea, legalism. Number two, fatalism. Everyone say fatalism. Okay. Fatalism says this. Fatalism says your fate has already been determined for you. And it didn't have anything to do with you. So there's a God out there, and that God has determined this is how things are going to end for you. It's fatalism. Your fate has already been predetermined. So go, you might as well just figure out how to enjoy your life the way that it is because you can't really determine what's going to happen when it's all said and done. Now, I could say a lot more about both of those, but let me just jump to the, the biggest difference between those two things and between Christianity. Right? Christianity and the biggest difference between it and the 4,200 different religions out there that involve typically some form of legalism or fatalism is this right here. Free will. Everyone say free will. Look at your neighbor and say, you get to choose. Right? You chose to sit in that chair. You chose to sit beside that person. You chose to be in a relationship with that person. Right? You chose to get married to that person in, in some cases. Here. That's called Free will. Now, let me give you some references real quick. And, and I'm not going to give you the whole verse, but you can kind of take these and you can go back and read these on yourself, right? Let me give you some references because this is the big difference. The big difference between Christianity and every other religion out there is that Christianity is founded on the premise of free will. Here's a couple references. You can write these down. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 9. God says this in, in the text right at the beginning. Right at the beginning of mankind, he says that you should choose 
freely and eat freely. He's giving you choice. He gave Adam and Eve choice. So right from the beginning, God wanted a relationship with his creation, you and I. It started with Adam and Eve, where we had the opportunity to choose. Let me give you another one real quick. Write this reference down. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 to 19. The text says this. It says, I have set before you life and death. Choose life. So you get to choose. It's your choice. Now, now here's why this is important. Let me, let, me get, let, me, let me take it a little deeper for you. Free will is absolutely necessary because without free will, there's no such thing as love. Right? And God wanted a loving relationship with you and I. God wants a loving relationship with people that are lost and don't know Christ. But the only way that love can exist is if free will exists. Because free will sets up the opportunity for you and I to choose love, to choose relationship, to choose, hey, I want to know this person I'm sitting beside. I want to marry this person. Or in this case, hey, I want to know God. I want to choose to serve and to follow God. And then Jesus comes along. Let me fast forward, and they're going to put this verse on the screen for you. Jesus comes along, and in the New Testament, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes this statement right here. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everyone say no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, now, let me just get right to the point. This is the verse that makes Jesus, in the, world, in the eyes of the world, this is the verse that makes Jesus seem very intolerant, very narrow-minded. Very, very, go ahead and leave it up on the screen for me. Very, very bigoted, Right? If you want to use all of the popular adjectives that are in our culture today, this is the verse where people would say that's racist, that's bigoted, that's homophobic, that's massage. I mean, we just want to throw everything at it, right? Because that's the way our culture is today. We just want to throw every insult at you when we disagree with you in, in, in one area. And so when Jesus makes this statement, I am the way, the truth, and life, everyone's like, whoa. Like, how can you say that? How can you be so intolerant? That's like such like upper-class, yuppie, country club mentality, your way is the, is the, is the only way. Like, like, how in the world? That's so exclusive. Let me, let me, uh, let me do, let's do a little test here real quick. You can leave the verse up on the screen. 4,200 different religions in the world. All of them founded by some form or some kind of religious leader. If you were to remove the religious leader from each of those religions, what is left? Each of those religions. If you were to remove Jesus from Christianity, what's left? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, so when Jesus makes this statement, it's because Jesus understands that it's all built on him. It's all built on what he did. It's all built on who he is. And so Jesus, because he's deity, which is just another theological term for he's God, because Jesus is God, Jesus has the right to declare, this is the way in which you and I will establish relationship with him. So, so Jesus demands and, and deserves the respect and authority to be the only way because of the fact that he is not just a religious leader that if you pull them out of the religion, it's still there. No, no, no. He's the one upon whom it's all founded. 
yet we struggle with this. Let's be honest about this. This, is, this, this in our culture is hard to swallow because this is narrow-minded. This is, this is bigoted. This is intolerant. This is so exclusive. Now, now, now let me help you out here real quick. Now, here's where I'm going to get real practical with you because there's going to come a time when you're having a conversation with a family member or, or, or a coworker, um, or if you're a student, you know, you're going to have a conversation with one of your, one of your other peers at school or, or, or one of your friends in college, right? right? And there's going to come a time where, where you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about your faith, you might be sharing your testimony with them, right? And, and their response is, is going to be something like, how can you believe that? Like, how can you believe that your way is the only way? How can you be so narrow-minded? Some of you have already had this kind of stuff said to you. How can you be so intolerant? Like, 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 no, like no other religion believes that. You guys are the only ones. So let me give you real quick. Get ready to take some notes. Let me give you four reminders on Christianity being exclusive. I'll go through these real fast. Four reminders on Christianity being exclusive. Four reminders on, being, on Christianity being exclusive. Number one, number one, Jesus made the statement, we're just repeating it. Jesus made the statement, we're just repeating it. Why is that important? Because I'm not the one who said it, and neither are you. We're just repeating what Jesus himself said. So, you know, you're like, well, what does that matter? No, it does matter because the next time someone says to you, you're being so intolerant, how can you believe that? You could very simply say to them, you know what? I'm not the one who said it. Jesus said it. Take it up with him. Like, go have a conversation with him about it. If you don't like the fact that Jesus made the statement, go do your homework, go study, go research why Jesus said it in the first place. So, so number one, we didn't make the statement. Jesus said it. We're just repeating it. Number two, Christianity, this is important. You need, to, you, need to be, you need to understand this. Christianity is not the only religion that claims exclusivity. We're not. We're, we're not. See, see, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and there's a lot of people that are, that are regurgitating or repeating things that they heard somewhere that they've never fact-checked. So I'm going to be your human fact-checked right now, right? Christianity is not the only religion that claims some. In fact, most religions do. Most of them do. So this isn't anything new. This isn't anything revolutionary. This, is, this, doesn't, this doesn't allow the world to peg you and I as Christians into the box of Christians are the only bigoted, intolerant, exclusive ones out there when it comes to religion and knowing God. It's not true. It's not true. But you, you, know, you, know, what, you know what the real issue is? You know why you and I struggle with, with exclusivity? This might, this might step on your toes a little bit, but let me just get there. You know, why, you know why you and I really struggle with this idea of exclusivity? It's because ultimately we've lowered our view of who Jesus is. And, and every time you lower your view of Jesus, every time you devalue or you de-elevate Jesus and you put him at the same level on the same playing field with every other religious leader out there, you're going to struggle with the idea of Jesus being exclusive because you've tried to make Jesus just one of the He's just one of the dudes on the team, so what's so special about him? Your problem with exclusivity is actually a problem that you have of who Jesus is. The real question, the real question we're wrestling with here is, is Jesus really the son of God? Is he really God himself? And, and when you see Jesus in his proper place, and when you elevate him to the proper status that he deserves as the son of God, exclusivity is no longer an issue. Because now you look at Jesus and you're like, he's God. And if God said it, God gets to say it. Why? Because he's God. Right? 
I mean, so, so understand this. If, if you sit here today and everything inside of you is like, oh, I'm struggling with this idea of exclusivity, you need to do a heart check on, on how do you view Jesus. Because if you devalue him, you're always going to struggle with it. No, number three, number, number three reminder when it comes to Christianity being exclusive, uh, exclusive. Number three, truth by its very nature is exclusive. Tr- truth by its very nature is exclusive. What, what do you mean? You cannot believe in the idea or concept of truth without believing that it is exclusive. Now, you know, so we live in a culture today that, that rejects that idea. Like, like, like you and I live in a culture that would say something like this. The only thing that we know to be true is that there's no such thing as truth. We just doesn't kind of work together in the same sense. Let me illustrate it like this. So um, uh, you... you, you uh, you got a car, you got a, you got a driver's license, I'm assuming most of you drive, right? So, how, how many of you um, happen to have this really bad habit when it comes to driving? You play this game where you want to see how close you can get that needle to the letter E before you have to stop and... Any, anybody, anybody, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and some of you have a car that doesn't just have the little gauge, but you have a number that's telling you how many miles you have left, right? right? And you're like, you're, some of you have already figured out when it hits zero, it's not really zero. Yeah, you're, you're like, I know I got at least five. I got 10 more miles to go. I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get, you know, it's like as if we're saving any money. But, but uh, so, that, so hypothetically, let's just say late one night, you're driving around here in some back roads area, get great, you know, greater the greater metropolis of Gettysburg, right? Right? I mean, and and it's getting low. I mean, it's getting below the E, and you're like at minus ten right now, and you're like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get gas. I got. So, so you pull into some gas station you've never been to before. It is in the middle of literal nowhere. It is like one of these old pop, mom and pop gas stations. It's so old that they don't even take the credit card at the gas pump. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you got to like wind up the thing in order to get it to work. And, and, and so you, you fill up with gas. And let's just say hypothetically that your car takes 10 gallons of gas. You know this because you've played this game many times. 10 gallons will fill it all the way up. And so you put 10 gallons of gas in. And let's just also hypothetically say in a hope-filled world that at this point in history, gas is only $2 a gallon. Oh, Jesus. Oh, please, Jesus, let us return to those days. Revival, come, right? Uh, and I'm just, you know, trying to be hopeful, right? So you walk into the, 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 the little store there, and you put a $20 bill down on the table because you're thinking $10 a gas, 2 bucks a gallon, boom. And, and the guy's like, he's like, oh, he's like, you're a little short, uh, uh, and you owe me some more. And you're like, what are you talking about? He's like, I, I, got, you, I got you here at 80 bucks. And you're like, What? Yeah, I got you here at 80 bucks. It, sa- it says that you used 40 gallons of gas, two bucks a gallon, that's 80 bucks. You're like, oh, well, that must be a mistake. There's like, there's like a glitch in your system. You got a virus in your system or something because that's a, I, I, didn't, I only got 10 bucks of gas, uh, 10, 10 gallons of gas. You're like, no, 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 no. He's like, I can use this right here. Look, look, she says 40 gallons and everything. And you're like, no, no, you don't understand. Um, my car literally can't hold 40 gallons of gas. Like, it, my tank only holds 10. So it is impossible that I put... 40 gallons of gas in there. And, and the guy says to you, oh, oh, you're not from around here, are you? And you're like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Like, oh, but, you know, I just, you're one of those people. You see, like, around here, we kind of got, like, our own um, measuring system around here. 
And I've had this happen before with people like you. You come in and you think you know what a gallon of gas is and you got like your own definition for a gallon of gas. But I, I mean, for, for, for it to make sense for you, like, like here a, a gallon of gas would be like a quart like where you're from. But for us, we, kinda, we just do things differently around here. We, um, I don't, I, I, like we, we kind of got our own truth in this part of the woods. You, you, you would like, you'd be mad. You'd leave a bad Yelp review if you could even find that place on Yelp, right? I mean, you'd be like, I'm never coming back here again. I mean, all this stuff. And you would completely say, that's not fair. That's not right. A gallon is a gallon no matter where you're at. Where, where you go, it's always a gallon. What are you really saying? You're saying that truth by its very nature is exclusive. You're saying that if you believe in the concept of truth, then truth has to be true for all people in all places at all times. Yet you and I live in a culture today that rejects that wholeheartedly and says, no, 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 there's no such thing as universal or absolute truth. It's, 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 it's relative. You've got your truth. I've got my truth, you know? If you've ever watched Oprah or, or read any of her books, it's, it's go find your truth. I, I have a newsflash for you. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's the truth and there's your opinion or my opinion. That's it. That's all there is. But if you're going to believe in the concept of truth, then you have to ascribe by the idea that truth by its very nature is exclusive. That's number three. Number four. Last one here real quick. Jesus made the statement, not us. That's number one. Christianity is not the only reason that claims exclusivity. That's number two. Number three, truth by its very nature is exclusive. Here's number four. Jesus, even though he makes an exclusive statement by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, number four, is inclusive to everyone. Now, this is so important. You, you got you to you really understand this. Because it's easy for you and I to look at this verse in particular and say, it seems like Jesus is making it hard. It seems like Jesus is kind of making it really narrow. It seems like Jesus is, is tightening up. Instead of there being a plethora of paths, a bunch of different boxcars you can get into, a bunch of different trails that you can jump on, seems like Jesus is really, really making it difficult. Let, let, me, let, me, let me interpret what's really going on here. Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. Let me put it in our day and age in your vernacular. Jesus was kind of giving the disciples good news, bad news. How many of you had one of those parents that would say to you, I've got some good news and i got some bad news? You always would say, give me the bad news first, right? <laughs> right? I, I know that was with me. I just wanted to end on a good note. So, so let's, just, let's just imagine that's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, i got some good news and i got some bad news. And the disciples are like, Jesus, give us the bad news first. So Jesus says to them, okay, guys, here's the bad news. Hate to say this to you, but here's the bad news. No one is coming for you. Like none of these religious leaders, none of them care enough to actually come to help you out. You're, you're stuck. You're going to have to figure this whole thing out, this whole, this whole God, this whole spirituality. You're going to have to figure it out by yourself. No one's coming for you. The, dude, the disciples are like, oh, dude, that's, that's bad. He says, but I got some good news. I got some good news. Don't ever forget this. I came. I'm here. I've done what no other religious leader has ever done or will ever. I came. You, you and I are asking the wrong question when we say, why is Jesus the only way? The question we should be asking is, why is there a way at all? And the only reason that there is a way is because Jesus said, 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through me. Jesus didn't come to make it more difficult. Jesus actually came to bust the wall down, fly the gates wide open, and say, I'm going to make a way where there was no way. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide a path to salvation and a path to relationship with God that didn't exist until I showed up on the scene. No other religious leader did this. So, so Jesus is coming along and he's saying, listen, you've got other religious leaders. They're trying to show you how to get to God. They're saying, hey, follow me. I think I know how to get there. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. Don't follow me because I think I know how to get there. Follow me because I am the way to get there. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. Jesus is not the guide for your best life. He is your life. Jesus, Jesus is not an app on your phone. He's the whole iOS. He's the whole deal. He's the whole operating system for your life. We, we, got, we got to put our head around this and understand, like, whoa, this is what Jesus is really saying. Jesus is saying, there is no other way without me. But some of you, I, I got a couple minutes left. Let me, let me, let me help you. Because some of you, even, even as I'm, I'm saying all this, some of you are kind of thinking to yourself, you're like, okay, all right, that's cool. But, like, what about, like, like what about all the people everywhere that have never really heard? Like, what about all those people? What happens with them? Like, what happens with them? Great question. Glad you're asking the Bible says that God is always speaking to people in various ways. I'm going to give these to you real, real fast, right? But the, God, the, the Bible says that God is always speaking to his children because, because we're all God's children, whether we're in relationship with him or not. We're still God's children. He still claims us, right? So we're, this is what the Bible says. I'm going to give you five words real quick. I'm going to give you five references to go along with them, and then you can go do the homework on yourself because here's how God is speaking to all people in all places at all times forever. Right? Here you go. Number one, God speaks through creation. Write it down. God speaks through creation. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says that God is speaking through his creation to draw people unto himself. Number two, God speaks through conscience. Right? Romans chapter 2, verse 15. It says we're all born with a God-like conscience. He says, I have placed in you your conscience. That's for all people, all men, not just Christians. That's for, for all Buddhists and all Muslims, everybody has a God-like conscience that has been placed inside of them. Everybody does. Buddhists, Muslims, Baltimore Ravens fans, cat lovers, country music lovers. I mean, I don't know how, but like, sorry, let me move on. I digress. Okay. Right. God speaks through creation, number one, through conscience, number two. He, God speaks, number three, through comfort. God speaks through comfort. John Chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Again, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15 says that God uses comfort in order to, it's when we provide comfort for someone in need, God uses that to speak to them. Number four, God speaks through conviction. Same passage of scripture, John chapter 16, verse 5 through 15. It says the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus left so that the Spirit of God could come. Jesus was, he was confined to stay in one place at one time when he was here in this earth. And so he ascended to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come. And the Holy Spirit can bring conviction to all men at all times in all places around the world. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Last one. Number five, God speaks through conversation. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. God reveals himself through conversation. 
So some of you are like, all right, that's cool. I get it. All right, it makes, makes more sense. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't come to make it hard. He actually came to make it easy. And, okay, God's always speaking five different ways. But some of you, you're still wrestling with me intellectually, and you're thinking to yourself, but, but Pastor Aaron, but Pastor Aaron, but Pastor Aaron, like what about, like what about the little kids in Africa? Like what about them? What about, I'm like the little kids in like the remotest part of some tribe somewhere. Like what about the kids in Africa? Okay. Well, let me throw it back at you. What about them? What about them? I didn't know you cared so much. Well, what have you done about it? Have you, have you gone? Did, did, you, did you go on the short-term missions trip? Or, or if you couldn't go, did you, did, did, you, did you give to the missionaries who do go? Did you give to the missions organization or to the church missions fund that's actually supporting, like, reaching those? Like, like what have you done about it? See, see, we, we love to do this. We, we don't realize that we're doing it, but we love to insult God with what we believe to be our highly intellectual, sophisticated questions. Well, God, what are you going to do about this over here? Well, you know, what are you going to do? And God's, God's really, his answer is actually plain and simple. He's like, I've, I've, I've done everything about it. What have you done? See, you and I are part of the equation. That's why we have nights like this where we not just try to go deep in our faith, but we also try to equip and prepare ourselves to actually be used to spread the gospel, right? So, so what are you doing about it? What, what, what is your response? Be, be, be really careful the questions that sometimes you and I throw to God because what we're doing is we're impugning some false motive on God and we're, we're almost implying that we care more about the little kids in Africa than what God himself does. But see, you want to know what God's done about it? Here's what God's done about it. Go to the next verse on the screen, the one that everybody in this room probably has memorized. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a, by the way, let me pause right there. That's a direct rebuke of legalism. Because that's God saying, I'm going to give before you've ever done anything to earn it. Right? He says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, everyone say whoever. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a direct rebuke towards fatalism, is it not? Because it's basically saying, it's your choice. If you choose to believe, then you earn eternal life and salvation for yourself, right? Let me give you one more verse, one more verse. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. This, this verse, when I studied this topic, this verse just blew me away because here's what it says. It says, from one man he made all nations. Now, that's Jesus he's referring to. That, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now listen, why did God do this? It says God did this so they would seek him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Translation, please. Translation, real simple. You're alive today living in Gettysburg area of America because that's when God knew it would provide the greatest opportunity for you to encounter him and develop a relationship with him. And if that is true for you, and if it's true for me, then is it not also true for the little kid in Africa? Not also true for the little kid in the remotest part of the tribe of the world somewhere? Is it not also true for your coworker and for your, your, your friend that doesn't know Christ and for your family member that hasn't come to salvation? Yes, it is. 
It means they're alive today, living in the land, geographically, the area that they're supposed to be in, because God knew this would provide the greatest opportunity for them to respond to the gospel. And just in case you're not sure the gospel works anymore, let me give you some updated statistics about what God is doing and the spread of the gospel around our world. Did you know, when I say the gospel, by the way, just just to translate that for those of you that might not know, when I say the gospel, the gospel is Jesus was God, Jesus came from heaven to earth, Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and three days later rose from the grave. That's the gospel. Does the gospel work? You tell me. Statistics now tell us that every single day around this world, 80,000 people come to know Jesus. I would say the gospel is working. Statistics say that every day over 500 different churches are planted. The gospel works. Statistics say that in the year 1900, there were only about 7 million believers on the continent of Africa, and now today there are well over 575 million believers. The gospel works. The the, the statistics tell us this. They they say that since 9-11, since the event 9-11 took place in our country, more Muslims have converted to Christianity than the prior 14 centuries before 9-11. There's a great revival actually taking place in the nation of Iran right now. The gospel works. Did you know there are now officially more Christians in the country of China than members of the Communist Party? Why? Because the gospel works. Did you know that the fastest growing religion on the continent of Asia the last 10 years is Christianity? Why? Because the gospel works. You and I have to make the decision to work it, though. This is why. One one last verse. This isn't even going to go on your screen, but I want to say this to you. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, he says this. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Look at your neighbor and say, you got some good looking feet. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, you you don't even know. Toe fungus galore. I'm not even taking off my shoes in a public place. But the gospel works, and it only works because it demands a response. And now that you've received the gospel and I've received the gospel, you have to ask yourself the question, what's my response going to be? Are are my feet going to be the beautiful feet? Because they're going to be the ones that respond by moving forward to share the gospel. See, now, now that you know, now that you fully believe Jesus really is the only way, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? It's, it's easy to sit back and say, I don't know, there's probably a bunch of different ways to get there. That's easy because that allows you to live in a land of comfort and blindness where you just say, I don't know, someone will figure it out. But, but when you choose to say, no, 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 I believe Jesus is the only way, he's the only way, he's the only way, he's, that demands a response on your part. One last story and I'm done. There was a, many, many years ago, there was a Welsh missionary who decided that because the gospel demanded a response, he packed up his bags, he moved to the country of India, to an area of the country northeast, Assam, area of India. Spent many, many, many years there, and and by all accounts, most people would have considered him to be a failure because he only reached one family for Christ. After many years, sowing many seeds, he reached the one family, he decided it was time for him to go back, and so he, he went back home. 
there was one convert in the wake of his response to the gospel. When some of the Hindu chiefs in that, in that village heard that there was a man that had converted to Christianity and his whole family had then converted to Christianity, they went to his, his, his home, or it was probably more like a hut. They went there and they confronted him. They said, we've heard that you have, you have abandoned Hinduism and, and you have converted to Christianity. We have come to demand that you recount, that you, that you rebuke Christianity and you come back to Hinduism. And, and the man looked at, at the tribal leaders, no, knowing what was at stake, understanding that the gospel always demands a response, and he said this. You're probably familiar with these words. You've probably sang them at church at some point in your life. This is actually this, this particular song comes from the man looked at these tribal leaders, and he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And they looked at him, and they said, no, 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 no. You, you, will, you will reject Christianity. You will come back to Hinduism. If you do not, we will kill your wife right here, right now. He said, I've decided to follow Jesus. And they killed his wife right in front of him and his kids. They looked at the man again and they said, do you want to lose your children as well? Because you'll lose your children next. Reject Christianity, come back to Hinduism and we'll spare you and we'll spare your children. And the man said these words. He said, the cross before me, the world behind me, I've decided to follow Jesus. And they martyred all of his kids right in front of him. And then they looked at the man and they said, you're the last person alive in your family. You can save yourself. Just reject Christianity. And he said this, though none go with me, still I will follow. And they killed him. But the blood that he shed became the seed, or I should say it watered the seed that the Welsh missionary had sown. And it wasn't just more than a couple days or weeks later that the tribal leader himself converted to Christianity because of the dramatic response of the man and his wife and his kids. And once that tribal leader found Christ, revival broke out because more leaders found Christ and then their families found Christ. And there was a mini revival in that part of the world and that part of the country because one Welsh missionary understood the gospel demands a response. And because one follower understood when you make a decision and when you know Jesus is the only way, you have to have the beautiful feet that walk it out no matter how difficult it is. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads with me real quick. Let me pray, and Pastor Jay's going to come. He's going to give you some instruction, send you off to breakouts here in just a moment. Let me pray with you. God, thank you for the privilege that it has been to be here at FV Church for this epic weekend. But God, more importantly than that, God, I pray for those that are here in this room tonight. I pray that in their hearts, they will develop an incredible passion to respond to the gospel. Not, not just the response that they have already made, the response of asking Jesus to forgive them of sin, but God, I pray that they'd respond with action. I pray they'd respond with conviction. I would pray they'd understand that when we understand you are the only way, it demands a response. It demands surrender. And so, God, we surrender our beautiful feet to you tonight. We surrender our movements, our actions, our steps. We surrender it to you, Lord, and we say, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. God, help us, I pray. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Listen, friend, the gospel demands a response. The response the gospel demands is the response of surrender. 
I don't know if you realize this or not, Jesus actually doesn't really talk too much about the word commitment in the New Testament. He talks an awful lot about surrender. And the American church has gotten real comfortable with the idea of commitment. Commitment's easy. It's easy. I'll commit to what I want to commit to, and when I'm done committing to it, I'll uncommit. That's commitment. Surrender is completely different. So commitment's based on my terms. Surrender's based on God's terms. Com- commitment is I'm driving the car, and Jesus is going to ride shotgun. And he's going to tell me which way to go, and I may or may not choose to listen to him. Surrender is Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hand. I can't do this. Um, come on, y'all. She was driving last Friday on her. I'll sing the song right now, Pastor Candace. I will. Can you give me in the right key. No, I'm okay. I'm joking. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. The gospel demands respond, surrender. It demands a response, all right? Hey, man, thanks for spending the weekend with us. And you're going to go to some amazing breakouts right now. Pastor Jay is going to come give you some instruction on that real quick. But thanks for being here. God bless you. Love you guys so much. Come on. Come on. That's an important and powerful word. Do you believe it? If, if there's only one truth and you believe it, that's it. That's everything. Be surrendered. Live in light of that truth. Man. Here in this room, so if you're one of those people who like, I like my seat, I don't need to move, you know, this might be your breakout. We got, we got Pastor Jerry is going to be teaching how to hear from God. If you've ever struggled with what is God saying to me specifically, how can, how can I hear from him and then act in light of it? That's going to be happening right here in this room. And we'll see you in the breakouts. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. How to Hear God's Voice is an incredible subject. I love this subject so much. You you heard Aaron touch on it a little bit uh, in his session. I want to drill a lot deeper, especially on the conversational part. How do you actually hear God speak? You know, it's possible to hear God speak. And I say this because I've had repeatedly over the years, I've had people come to me and say, do you believe God talks to people? Yeah. Do you think he said this? And they would say something that they believe God said. Sometimes I got to say, no, I don't believe he said that. You know, there's, there's things. Well, let me put it this way. You know, the, the Bible says Satan comes as an angel of light. Meaning he sounds right. It sounds like the right thing, but it's not. And you know it's not. Like if somebody says to me, God just spoke to me and he told me that Jesus isn't actually his son. No. Don't believe God spoke to you there. You heard something. You didn't hear God. He doesn't deny his boy. Okay? So that's it's important for you to get that. And uh, the whole subtext of the sessions that I'm going to teach is how to let the word of God speak to you because... God speaks primarily through his word, or at least it's confirmed through his word. So in the How to Hear God's Voice session, I want to spend a lot of time there. I'd like to go with you to 1 Samuel 3. I want to show you an example of uh, how somebody heard God's voice. 
1 Samuel 3. I love this story. And I'm going to spend a little time in uh, the first few verses of 1 Samuel 3 uh, as we talk about how to hear God's voice. It says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. I just want to say that's just a great way to get into the position of hearing God in the first place. Serve alongside somebody that you know has a real relationship with him. And it's amazing how it happens from there. That's what happened with Samuel. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And visions were quite uncommon. I want you to hear that as well. Because what he's saying here is this was not a time when lots of people were hearing from God. It was a time when most people weren't hearing from God. And it was, it was a very uncommon thing for somebody to hear from God. It reminds me of when uh, I announced that we were planting Freedom Valley Church back in uh, 1991. And uh, I went to a couple of family functions, and, and uh, th this was for Julie's family. And they were like, you're doing what? Are you serious? I mean, her, her grandfather said, I guess every church was started sometime, but, like, people don't do that today, do they? Yeah, people do. I am. <laughs> he said, well, won't they let you pastor any real churches? <laughs> yeah, they will. I've been offered real churches, but God told me to start one. And he, he, God doesn't talk to people. Are you crazy? Uh, years ago, I had a, a couple show up at church. Uh, let me just tell you the whole story. So I arrived to church one Sunday morning, and we were meeting up here at Defoe's Auto Sales. And um, it was a back building from there and in that little complex. Uh, it was a back building. And in that back building, they sold um, Mexican lawn ornaments, mostly from Mexico. And the uh, FBI had shut it down uh, a week before we took it over. Uh, Marvin and I were driving by there praying one day saying, God, we need a place to meet. Any old place would be fine. Just find us a place to meet. And I remember saying, God, if there's, if there's a drug dealer around here using a place, maybe you could help us with that. We'll take that. And sure enough, we pulled into that place and there was cars everywhere and people wearing guns and, um, uh, I don't know, some kind of official stuff, patches and stuff. Didn't make any sense to me, but I walked up to one guy and I said, what's going on here? And he, he said, who are you and what do you think you're doing here? <laughs> well, I'm, I don't know. I, this place looks like you're emptying it. And I thought maybe we could use it for a church. And he said, the owner's in there. And we go into the uh, to an office where there was a light shining, you know, like, like in a movie where there's a light shining down on the person and they're like cowering in a corner. That was the owner of the place. And I say, um, I'm Jerry Stolzus and I'm looking for a place to rent. And he was like, well, yeah, my place is available. And uh, he said, tell them that. So I turned around and I said, I don't know who you guys are. Are you good guys or bad guys? He's, he says, uh, we're good guys. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's enough, because they wouldn't identify themselves. Like, who are they with? I found out later they were with, they were, they were with the Bureau of Tobacco and Firearms and 
whatever the other thing is. I forget what it is. Anyway, that's who they were. And um, they had shut down that place. So we, we took it over, and the first week in that building was just awful. Tom, were you with us then? Were you with us in the first week? You weren't quite the first week. You were close to that, close to that whole thing. First week was awful. Like, it rained that Sunday, and water ran in the front door. Right where I was preaching, there's water running down the floor. And it was awful. The place was had murals on the walls, and was, I don't know, pitiful. But I got there that Sunday morning, and there was a prayer group standing around the back. And I went over, and I discovered it's our worship team praying. And... I walked over and they parted hands and let me join the group. And across the group, the man that was praying was saying, God, if there's anybody in this whole community that is suicidal this morning, would you please send them here? Because we have what they need. Something inside me was screaming, man, God, if you send one more suicidal person here, I will be suicidal. I cannot, I don't know how to handle any more. I'm up to my ears in helping people right now. I, I, there's no more possible. Well, near the end of that service, that Sunday, the back door opened and a couple walked in near the end. They were extremely well-dressed. Like, he was wearing a three-piece suit. And I don't know if you've noticed, but they're rare at Freedom Valley. Suits are rare. Tom's the only tire wearer I know. I love that, Tom. I, lo I love that people feel they could fit in because you wear a tie. That's a good thing. I'm, I'm a little bothered that most people walk up to you and call you the pastor when, when they see you wearing that. But you know, I get that. And I, I love that you do that. But um, there's no suits in our church. And she was wearing an incredibly expensive dress. And uh, so I, wa I walked over to them at the end of the service. They'd only been there for five minutes, and I was really doing an altar call and closing up. And, we, and people responded to the altar call. I prayed with them. I walked over. They're still standing there. The church is emptying. They're still standing there. So I go over and I say, hi, my name's Jerry. What's your name? The guy tells me his name and introduces her. And he says, I've got to talk to you right now. Takes me aside, and he pulls out of his suit coat a note. And I read it, and it's a suicide note. When you read this, I will be dead. And it goes on with a confession of some really grievous sin and stuff. And he says, Pastor, I just got to know, before you finish reading that note, do you believe God talks to people? Yeah. Of course I believe that. Don't you believe that? <laughs> said, not anybody with a, like a brain. What? He said, not anybody with a brain. Are you serious? God doesn't talk to people. Yeah, I said, he does. God talks to people. He said, well, God talked to me this morning. And I don't know if I have a brain or not. But that's why I'm still alive. Really? He said, I, I got up this morning and I decided this was going to be my last day on earth. He said, my wife doesn't know this yet. That's her over there. She's my fifth wife. All four of my previous marriages ended because I had an affair. All four of them. She's the fifth one. I just had an affair. She doesn't know. 
I hate myself. I hate who I am. I hate everything about me. And I want to die. He said, I'm, I'm dressed up this morning because we're leaders at our church. But I just want to know, do you believe God talks to people? Because I, I, she went to the shower and I went to take pills. I started taking them and um, a voice came. And he said, I think I was hallucinating because I already took some pills. But he said, I only took them like seconds before. Something's weird. A voice said, go to Debbie's church. And I was like, well, I don't know how to tell you, but I don't know if that's God's voice or not. I need more. Because I, I was trying to think, do we have a Debbie in this church? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we might have a Debbie. I, people were really new to me then. I, I wasn't sure who we had and who we didn't. He's, he said, um, the voice came back again and said louder, go to Debbie's church. I said, go to Debbie's church. He said, I stopped taking pills. I went to the, where my wife was taking a shower, and I yelled in at her, do we know a Debbie? She said, I think we do. That lady at the real estate office this week was Debbie. He said, did she talk about a church? And his wife said, yeah, remember she said she's going to this new church. And God healed their marriage at this new church and all that. He, he said, well, that's why I'm here. We were driving up and down Route 30. Because the only thing we remember she told us was that the church is meeting on 30 in this rented building. And we were looking for your sign. We were just looking for a sign on 30. So we drove up to TikTok. We drove down to Thomasville. We were looking for this church. Finally found your sign out here in the weeds, which is all the township would let us do at that point. We had a little sandwich board we put in the weeds. It was awful. But he said, that's what we saw. And he said, listen, Pastor, anything you tell me to do right now, I will do because God told me to come here. And he said, I think God told me more than that. I think it wasn't just his voice that said, go to Debbie's church. I think God told me that whatever you say I should do, and that's what I'm here to do. I'm desperate. I hate myself. I'll do anything you say. He just looked at me and I'm like, well, you need Jesus. He said, I know who Jesus is. I said, that's not what I said. You need Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus. And I led him to Christ and he said, you know what? My wife needs this as much as I do because I'm about to tell her that I just cheated on her. And I hate myself. You got to help me tell her. But first later to Jesus because God's redoing something in my heart. Well, then I knew the voice was from God. Do you follow this? See, God speaks to you, but you got to weigh every voice that comes at you because you don't know which voice is God's and which isn't. So how do you weigh those voices? You compare them to the Word of God. You need to know that the voice that you heard is God's voice. And I'm going to talk about this a little more as we get into this. Um, because here we are in 1 Samuel 3 where Samuel was getting ready to hear from God. So one night Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. Eli was the priest that Samuel, the boy Samuel served under. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. And the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? 
I didn't call you my son. Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down. If someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called us before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. I just feel the preciousness of this moment. It's a huge moment when, when you realize that God's voice speaking to you. It's the biggest moment of your life. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I've warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Okay, so I want to talk about how to hear God's voice. And what I get from this story is that it takes practice and training to hear God's voice. Do you understand what he's saying here? Samuel never before heard the voice of God, and he didn't know God personally. But what he needed was somebody to say, Samuel, what's happening right now in your life is God is calling you. God wants to know you. God is reaching out to you. So it takes training. you got to learn to hear the voice of God. I, I was uh, listening to YouTube today where a lady said, you got to turn out the, tune out the noise. Man, I agree with that. To let God speak, you got to say no to a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of noise in our life. You know my favorite way to take an afternoon nap these days on Saturday or Sunday afternoon? I turn on the news <laughs> with somebody in the background droning on about what's happening in our world today. I could sleep like a baby. I, I don't know how it works. I just know it shuts it. It tunes everything out. It's a white noise to me. And it helps me sort of turn it off. Well, what is the white noise in your life? We use white noise for our kids to sleep. Sometimes you have a noisemaker in your house. A lot of us have noisemakers. Uh, my wife and I use it sometimes. Like in the summer, we have the, the air conditioning running. But when the air conditioner gets turned off, we can't sleep for a couple of nights. <laughs> because it's too quiet. And you need something. So I have a white noise generator, or she has a white noise generator on her phone. We turn on some white noise. It's actually brown noise. It's... Um, it's the noise of a fan or a noise of an air conditioner or the noise of something. It's just in the background making noise. Somehow that helps you shut it off. But when you want to hear God's voice, you've got to shut that off. All the white noise in your life, whatever it is. That white noise could come from somebody else talking to you. It can come from some other distraction that you have going on in your life. But you've got to learn how to hear God's voice. And Samuel here, here's an example of a kid that needed to learn to hear God's voice. You say, well, that's a kid. Yeah, but it, it's been true of adults as well. Like, for example, there's a story of the prophet 
the great prophet Elijah, had one of the greatest moments in Israeli history where he called them all together and he, and he said, we're going to decide who's God right here and now. So he calls all the prophets of Baal and he, and, and he says, go ahead, call on your God and see if God brings fire from heaven and lights your altar. And they called and they cried and they went on for hours. And he, he finally started mocking them. Call louder. Come on, what's the matter with you? Get your God's attention. Can't you get him to send fire from heaven? What's, what is wrong with you? They, they go on and on. Finally, he says, okay, give me a shot. So instead of just an altar, he dumps water over it. I think there were seven huge barrels of water over his altar. There was a trench around it to catch all the water. He just wanted to illustrate the point really big. And then he gets down on his knees and he says, God, if you're real, show these people that you're real. Fire falls from heaven. Lights up his altar just like that. And then you would think the great prophet, man, he knows God. But then uh, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die for what you did. And somehow another Jezebel gets under the great prophet's skin. He gets scared and he runs for his life. He runs for 40 days and nights, the Bible says, like I guess he ran all night. He ran a long distance to get away from her. And, and then he rested for a while and angels fed him. Notice how close he is to God. And then the, the Bible says that God came out with a, with a mighty wind. There was an incredible wind. And he listened. He really listened to that wind. Like, yeah, I don't hear God in that. I don't feel God in that wind at all. Then there was an earthquake. I still don't feel God in that. There was a third thing. What was the third thing? Anybody remember? I think I have it here in my notes. Um, whatever it was, the point is that Finally, God came to him in a still, small voice. And I tell you, when God speaks to me, it's always a still, small voice. Like God never yells. Some of us want God to yell. We're used to hearing our mama's voice or our pastor's voice or somebody else screaming at us, don't do that or do more of that. So we want God to yell. God doesn't yell. He hardly ever yells. To hear his voice, you got to tune into the still, small thing inside your heart. Somebody said to me, well, well, does God ever speak to you like with words? Not really. I don't hear God speaking with words usually. More often it's with a sense or a feeling. One of the most recent times I heard from God, was um, when I had my traffic accident five years ago. Um, when I woke up one day from that, my wife was leaning over me praying that I would wake up. And I did, and I looked at her, and I was like, babe, what are you doing here? Where am I? Oh. She said, you had a bad accident. You're in the hospital. And I had handcuffs on me at that point because... <laughs> I was uh, pulling the tubes out that they put in to keep me alive. And um, so I was tied down. 
And I suddenly realized this is not a fun place to be. And all of that. And my wife said to me, what did God just say to you? What do you mean? Oh, that dream I had was God. I didn't know that was God. I didn't understand the dream because the dream that I had was that God said, in five years I'll have you through this. He said a bunch of other things, very specific things, some that I could share and some that he, he said I shouldn't. But um, where was I going with that? I lost my place. She, it was a still small voice. It was a very quiet thing. And it took time for me to remember that it happened. Thank you for that. It, it took time for me to think it through. It was a very quiet thing. Not a, God doesn't shout. He doesn't scream. Some of us want that. We would like somebody to scream at us. We feel like it would straighten us out if somebody would scream at us. But listen, you've been screamed at. Did it straighten you out? Of course not. God speaks in a way that you have to listen to hear. And so with the prophet, it was a very still, small voice. And I, I just want you to see that. you got to learn how to hear his voice. Whether you're a prophet, which uh, we would call a preacher today, probably, or whether you're an ordinary person, as almost everybody in the Bible was before God started using them, to just an ordinary person. They had to learn how to hear his voice and believe it was his voice. They had to tune out the other voices. They had to tune out their boss, their kids, their, the person they're married to. You got to tune them all out. Sometimes their voices are the loudest voices we hear. And in our minds, we have this tape rolling of the things they've said to us. All of that got to get pushed away for you to be able to hear God's voice. And then in the stillness of your heart, sometimes you hear something that you think might be God. And I, I just want to say that tuning into his voice to know whether or not it's God is an incredibly important part of the process. You say, why doesn't God speak loud enough so I'm sure it's him? I think that the deal is that you're already so isolated that God wants you to tune into other people around you. He always confirms his word through people. And the people around you have to help you hear what was really God. And that's why my wife was leaning over me saying, what did God say? I think, I think God put her there. Because otherwise I would have forgot that dream and thought I just had a dream. It's just a, just a simple dream. The dream was confusing, incredibly hard for me to understand because I didn't know I had the accident yet in my cognitive brain. But God was speaking to me. And uh, I needed to remember what God said. Okay, so you got to tune into his voice. Uh, Samuel had to learn to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. By the way, I think every single person who ever, who's ever heard God's voice has to learn to say that. you got to work at this thing. Because God is saying, I'm not going to repeat myself forever. I want to talk to you. I want to talk straight to you. I don't want to push you. I don't want to demand anything of you. I just want to talk just a straight conversation. And you got to learn to listen 
for his voice and let him uh, guide you. By the way, you know, God loves the way he created you. He loves, as uh, Pastor Aaron was saying a little bit ago, he loves that he's taught you how to make choices. He loves that you get to make choices. And the Bible hints at some places that the choices you make are his will for your life in almost every case. When those choices are not um, opposed to the word, they are his choice for you. You made that choice. You made them under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's a, a really powerful thing. I'm, I'm sorry. I've got to cut through this quickly. I'm going to do this in a six-week course. I told you I'm starting this week in a six-week course. This is what I want to teach. So you tune into his voice. You basically say, like Samuel did, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Have you ever said that to God? God, I'm going to listen. I want to listen. I want to hear you talk to me. I want you to help me understand life a little better right now. I want to listen. Most times we go to God, we think prayer is us telling God what we need. Because after all, he doesn't know. But Jesus taught us that God knows everything you need before you ask. Then you got to look at that and say, well, then God, why am I asking? You already know. Why do I bother to try to form words and flap my gums at you? The reason is, I think, God wants you to own what it is that you need. You ever have your child come up to you? I learned this when my kids were little. My kids would come up to me and say, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, well, what are you hungry for? I don't know. Make something. We'll see if we like it or not. No, 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 no. I'm not going to spend half an hour making something for you to say, Ew, who thought of that? That's an awful choice, Dad. How would you make those things? They're terrible. No, no, no. You decide what you want and come and ask me for something, and I'll be glad to make it. Okay? I'll heat it up. I'll do whatever by making it. You understand? Those are very simple terms. I'll heat it up. I'll get it out of the cupboard. That's my definition of making it. Um, none of which is actually making it, you understand. But I, I want them to decide. I need them to decide what they want so that they don't turn their nose up at everything I bring them. And I think God is that way with, with me. He says, you decide what you want. Talk to me about it. And I'll talk back to you if you're listening most of us want to come to God and say, God, would you please help that person with this? And, and boy, that's, that was big of me to ask for them, wasn't it? And please bless my day. Make my day wonderful. Take care of that person who doesn't like me. You know, and make everybody like me and make my day happy. God says, man, that's not you wanting to hear my voice. My voice just doesn't work like that. So tune in, learn to tune in his voice. Let his word speak to you. That means you get into the Word every day. You let it speak to you. Uh, that is when you, when you, in my case, I turn it on. I listen to the Word on, on my phone. If you don't have the Bible app, man, you need the Bible app. Everybody needs the Bible app. It's how I listen to the Word of God every single day. I did today. And uh, One day, Gideon's son, Abimelech. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in Judges chapter 9. And just reading through the word. Now, when I read about Abimelech, I'm saying, God, how am I like Abimelech and how am I not? What do you want to say to me through this? 
How do you want me to see you because of the story? And uh, God speaks through his word. And by hearing his word constantly, I can identify when it's his voice that's speaking in my spirit and when it's not. And sometimes even with all that, I'm like the prophet and I still can't identify it. God, what are you really saying? Help me understand this because what you just said doesn't make any sense to me. Then you got to talk to some other people. You need other people around you. I've never heard, heard of anybody who heard the voice of God perfectly for themselves. you got to have it confirmed by talking to other people. And you build around yourself a group of other people you can go to and say, I think God just said to me. And you say some goofy thing, and, and they're like, God doesn't talk like that. Or they'll say, yeah, that, that sounds like God. That sounds right. I think it's on. You need to listen to that. God confirms his word, and you work through the process a little like that. You let his word speak to you. More than anything, his word, he did never, he never goes against his word. So when you hear his word, you're saying to yourself, I'm now learning how God thinks, learning how God applies himself in different situations. I'm learning how he acts and how he goes about life because he's never changed. He's the same, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. That's the way he's going to uh, talk to me as well. So let his word speak to you. Then spend time in his presence. That is, you, you need to spend some regular time with God somewhere. Where's that going to be for you? And if, if you're saying church, man, church is a start, but it's not enough. Because how about Monday? How about Tuesday? To get yourself filled with the word of God. And to hear his voice well for that day is important for that day. So every day to spend time in his, in his word, it, it changes how you go about your day because you have prepared yourself to hear his voice, to listen to, to how he thinks and all of that. And I just want to emphasize, he doesn't often speak verbally to me. I've only had a verbal word from God a couple of times in my life. Most times, it's through impressions I get in my spirit. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, you really ought to do this. And by the way, I found this scripture in Acts 16. There's a, a place in Acts 16 where the Bible says these words. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them. What? They got... Leadership from God because God prevented something? God, can't you talk to me? Paul heard God's voice well enough to write two-thirds of the New Testament. But he still needed God to guide him directly, sometimes through physical being prevented from something the Holy Spirit did not want him to do. God had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Verse 7, then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But against, again, the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go there. See, what, what, what the Bible's showing me here is that sometimes God guides you through circumstances. Uh, you, you'll always meet somebody who says, God talks to me about everything. He tells me what kind of bread I should buy at the grocery store and, whether, and where I should park. He tells me everything. If God does that for you, congratulations, that's awesome. He does it for me. 
Most times for me, he says, Jerry, I gave you a brain. Use the freaking thing. You got a brain? Use your brain. I gave it to you. It's the most incredible thing on the planet. Why wouldn't I want you to use it? Please use it. Make some decisions already. And do your best with your decisions. And sometimes God will prevent you from some things. Sometimes he'll keep you from some things that you shouldn't be doing. And you need to conclude from the things you've tried sometimes when you're listening to God the best you can. You say, okay, God, it feels like you don't want me to go there because you made it impossible for me or you made it incredibly hard. And it just feels like you're saying, you don't want me to go there right now. That's exactly what happens here. Again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. I'm just making up these pronunciations. I don't know. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. That's the best I can do. That night, Paul had a vision. Now God's speaking through visions? Yes. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. God's often spoke to me in visions. I had visions lately. By the way, in the five years since my traffic accident, I had no visions. I had no dreams that I could remember, not one. Suddenly, on the night of the fifth anniversary, remember the Holy Spirit told me, five years, I'll have you out of this. Five years, I'll have you whole again. On the night of the fifth anniversary, August 27th, just a month ago, I started dreaming again. I dream every night. That was the most wonderful dreams. Some of them were a little scary, but I dream almost every night. And God's speaking through some of them now. I really appreciate that so much. And here God spoke through a vision that he gave Paul. There was, uh, I guess a vision at night. It, it would appear at night because it says that night Paul had a vision. Seems like that night God spoke to him by this thing. You would say, God, why didn't you just talk to Paul? I think uh, God did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, he wanted us to see it. This is how he works many times. Number two, it's uh, Paul needed to work this out with the people around him. There was people around him that needed to be included on the decision that he was making. And so he'd go and share with them, God gave me a vision last night, I think. What do you think? Yep. So they concluded that God was calling him. And I think in most cases, God speaks through other people into your life and helps you with those uh, situations. Here he led them through circumstances before the vision. Um, Paul never gave up, by the way, on God's voice, even though God wasn't using his voice here. I think it's really important. Nor did he conclude that God only works through circumstances. He concluded God also works through circumstances. Do you hear that? I think that's really important. And he never, Paul never started saying, well, obviously God doesn't love me because he's not talking to me right now. I feel that in my spirit sometimes. I feel there's a temptation comes up in my spirit saying, does God really love you? Because if he did, why wouldn't he talk to you right now? Sometimes God's waiting for you to listen to the last thing he said. 
Last thing he said to you, I had to go back just over these past few months and uh, leaving pastoring Freedom Valley for my daughter to take over Freedom Valley. I had to go back and say, God, exactly what did you tell me when you told me to come to Adams County? What? I need to hear your voice. I need to hear your words again. He just replayed what he told me 28 years ago. You understand that? He, he, was, he just said, I'm not telling you nothing new. This is the same thing I said to you before. Just do that. Okay. Wait, God, I thought that you meant by that to do this. Now, just listen to me. I told you to do that. Just do that. God often takes you back to the last thing you heard. And then uh, uh, what you got to do is make sure that your spirit never allows itself to begin to believe that God doesn't love you, that he doesn't want to bless you, that he won't work all things out together for you for good. He'll work all things together for, to you for good. Romans 8.28, I live on Romans 8.28. It says, therefore, God will work everything in your life for your good. Everything. Everything, if you love him. That's all you got to do is focus yourself on loving him. And he will work out all the details of your life. That's an incredible promise for mistake makers like me. I make mistakes everywhere. I do things I wish I would have done differently all day long. But I always rely on that verse. I go back saying, okay, but God, you said that everything I do, you'll make it work together. And, and, and it's not that I did the right thing. It's that you make it the right thing because I did it. Even mistakes, he'll turn into something good. I love that. So in hearing his voice, it's an inexact science because... You can rely on God wanting good for you all the time. He always wants good for you. He always wants your life to be blessed. And you can say to yourself through the, those horrible circumstances where it feels like God isn't talking to you and you, you haven't, he hasn't done anything wonderful for you in a long time and blah, blah, blah. And your, your, your spirit is saying, see, God doesn't love you. He's not working for you. You say, no, wait a minute. The Bible says... All things will work together for good to those who love the Lord. I love the Lord. I do. Therefore, he's making this all work together for my good. It doesn't matter if I make mistakes. doesn't matter. He's still going to use it. doesn't matter if I, if I mess up or if I don't do something perfectly. He's going to use it. It's like Aaron was saying, we're, we're not into legalism. Legalism is if you Please, the Lord, he will make everything work out for you. Bigger than that. God says you please him just because you've received Jesus as your Savior. You please him already. God says everything about your life fascinates him and matters to him. And you can claim that everything in your life is working together for good for those who love the Lord. So it's not about hearing every word he says, and then carefully, 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 make sure you follow every word. If God spoke to you, of course, you need to do what he said. But it's, it's about saying, God, I trust you to guide me. I trust you to help me. Paul had, an, had a situation I just read to you where he was prevented from going one place. And he said, the Holy Spirit must be preventing me from this. And then there was another situation that didn't work out. Okay, God, I get that. You don't want me to do that. Then he had a vision. 
where God said, here's what I want you to do. And I think the reason for all of that is God, God's just saying, would you relax already? I love you. I care about your life. I will actually attend your words. You know, there's a verse, we were just reading about Samuel. One of the first verses of the book of Samuel is the, the Bible says that God attended his words and made every one of them come true. <laughs> like, God, you're actually listening to what I say so you can make it come true for me? That's incredible. That is incredible. And it's what happened to Samuel. And then in Galatians, the Bible says, every single one of the promises of the saints of old, of the Old Testament, can come true for you if you believe them. They're good for you. So when you read about Abraham's promises, there are seven promises God gave Abraham. Every single one of them are yours if you simply believe them. They're yours. You can have them in your life. And every other promise in the entire Bible to any one of his people, you can make true for you by simply believing that they're good for me. So God's just saying, I said this once back there. I'm not going to repeat myself endlessly. I told Abraham, I will bless you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will make you famous. That one drives me crazy. Like, God, how? How? And I don't know if I want to be famous, because those people got a drag on their lives that's awful. I don't know about that. And, then, and God pulls a thing. And for me, years ago, I still get, I just got an email from somebody who saw my YouTube video, you know, um, 20 years ago. Do you remember this? Uh, at, at Freedom Valley, um, I, I got a, a, a phone call from ABC Nightline, and they said, would you come and be on our show? We want to tape somebody speaking in tongues. And I'm like, you people scare me, and you're a little nuts, and I'm afraid you're going to mock me. And I finally said to the producer, He's, you, I don't know if you're going to treat me with respect. Maybe you're going to make fun of me. And, and he said, no, we will respect you. I promise you that. Everything you do will be respected, even if we disagree with it. Went on this thing. And I shared that with the church, and the church came back to me. and said, I had five or six people say, don't do it. Don't do it. The Holy Spirit said to us, don't do it. I said, well, that's odd. The Holy Spirit said to me, do it. Anyway, God used that to make me famous in a, the oddest way. And I still get emails from all over the world, probably three, four, five a month from people who say, I just watched your YouTube video, and would you pray for me in tongues? They always ask, would, you, would I pray for them in tongues? And please help us to understand speaking in tongues just a little more. And I send them back a thing. I've worked out a, a teaching on how to speak in tongues and all that stuff that I send back to them. And they'll ask me more questions from that. But God did that just to prove his word to me that he will make me notorious in one little way. I want, to, I want you to see that I want to do this. And he's just confirming his word again and again. That's how God speaks. He speaks in your spirit. And you discern... Because you've been into the Word of God, you discern which one of those were really God and which one of them were not. If God comes to you, if a voice comes to you and says, Jesus is not God, you're going to say, now wait a minute, that doesn't fit the Bible. The Bible says He is God, so I know that's not from God. 
But if he comes to you and, and says uh, something about what he wants you to do, go to the people around you and ask them for their opinion. Go to some people that you trust, who pray for you, who care a lot about your life and say, I think God just spoke to me. I remember when I got called to the ministry. I was 12 years old, probably. I was really young. I got saved at 11. I think it was about a, a year later, the Holy Spirit spoke to me about my calling to the ministry. I went to my mom first thing. Said, mom, I just had this dream. Me preaching. She said, I've always known you were called to be a preacher. Really? Why didn't you ever tell me? She said, I want God to tell you. I'm just confirming that is from God. Well, my next thing, I, I was feeling very brave, and I told my brother. He was like, that's stupid. God doesn't call idiots to the ministry. You know you're an idiot. <laughs> really? Thank you very much. Um, no. I'm just saying that I, I learned in that second time not to throw my pearls before swine, which means you got to be careful that who you're talking to about your faith uh, are people who respect your faith. Otherwise, that swine will eat the pearl or tread on the pearl that God gave you, and you'll lose it. And I just about lost it when my brother said that to me. I just about lost my calling over that. So I want you to hear God's voice. I think it's important that you hear God's voice. I'm not telling you that it's simple. Because it's not, at least not for me. I pursue after it constantly, and I'm always asking God. I took an hour and a half motorcycle ride today. That's my favorite place to hear God right now. He sounds a little like a Harley sometimes. But um, I, I just ride, and I say, God, talk to me today. Help me hear your voice today. Today I took an hour and a half ride, and I said, God, I want to make sure that what I teach tonight is good. It's really from you that I'm on the money with it. I need to know that you're uh, helping with this. God spoke to me throughout that whole thing uh, and helped me to feel his heart in the midst of all of this. Um, that's what I want you to get from this, that you feel God's heart. God wants you to be close enough to him to feel his heart. It's not always words. God often doesn't talk to me in words. It's often impressions that where I feel him urging me to do this or calling me to do that. And I have to figure out how to put it into words. And I say, God, did you mean? And, he, and sometimes he'll say yes or no. Or sometimes he lets me explore it a little longer. Sometimes he waits for me to talk to other people. Here or wherever. People that I trust. And people that care about me. And I ask them, what do you think? I think God just said this goofy thing. What do you think? You'd be surprised what people will say. Right now I'm asking God, for example, I'm asking God all the time, God, I just feel like I ought to pastor Life Discovery Church. <laughs> Maybe you heard about this. Pastoring the church, one of, the, one of our church plants, it's Life Discovery Church and we share this down. And I, I, I said to him about a month ago, I said, God, did you really say I should pastor that church? Are you crazy? Seriously? I start talking to people. First, my wife, Julia. I just think God said I should pass the life to every church. She says, yeah, you should. Where have you been all my life? How, how, what do you mean? 
I talked to everybody I talked to so far. Every single person said, yes, you should do that. That's how I hear God's voice. That's how God's voice is confirmed within me. I think I heard it. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. But I need to hear what you have to say about it. I went to, uh, Candace was probably the third or fourth person I talked to. I said, Pastor Candace, sit down here. I want to hear your opinion. I don't want you to tell me what you think God is saying. I just want to know what your heart says about this. She says, go for it. It's, it's a God thing. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing from everybody because I don't trust myself. My heart, the Bible says my heart, you know, the world says, listen to your heart. The Bible says your heart is desperately wicked. My heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Meaning, you got to be careful about what you hear sometimes from inside because it's not all God. Sometimes it's your heart talking to you and it's not a good thing and you need to resist that thing like crazy. I'm sorry, I'm probably way over time. I'm not paying any attention to time tonight. That's all right. You're so kind to me, Wayne. I appreciate that. Father, I thank you for time to consider your voice tonight. I want to hear your voice more than I want to breathe, I think. I want to hear your voice so bad. And then I want to learn how to follow it. I love you for calling me. I love you for caring about me. I love you for forgiving my sins. Stupid, rotten, dirty, ridiculous stuff. Mistakes I made and dumb stuff I've thought of. I'm sorry. Thank you for forgiving me and setting me free. Thank you for investing your voice in me again. And every single person, you're still speaking. Help us to hear you. Help us to do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody, for being here.